Hello and welcome to Crafty Hands Club Podcast. I am your host, Carice Jefferson. This podcast talks candidly about all things jewelry making, including tips, techniques, trends, the latest industry news, traditions, self-care, and more. If you're listening for the first time, please subscribe to receive latest episode alerts. Crafty Hands Club can also be found on various social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. Feel free to like, follow, or subscribe at any time. This is a warning that today's episode is about 60 minutes, and you might hear noises in the background throughout the podcast that absolutely could not be helped. Please know that the Crafty Hands Club podcast is not recorded in a professional studio, so from time to time you might hear background noises. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions or comments regarding the content that you hear today, feel free to send an email to info at craftyhandsclub.com. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Hi, Carice. Hi, welcome to season three of Crafty Hands Club podcast. First of all, I want to say happy new year to you. Happy new decade. And today I am so excited because this season I'm going to be interviewing various people and they will have a opportunity to share with you their journey and the ups and downs and their uh, jewelry making uh, creative journey. And so today I am doing my very first interview and the person that I have as today's guest, I am very excited to have. I've had the opportunity to uh, speak with him a couple of times he is a masterful wire work in his jewelry making, and he is from the DMV area. And for those that are unfamiliar with that, he hails from Washington, D.C. And his work is um, shown on various social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram. And recently, he just did an event where his lovely jewelry work was showcased. Ladies and gentlemen, today's host of this podcast episode is Mr. Lorenzo Emmett Sanders. Hi, Lorenzo. <laughs> Good morning, Carice. How are I you? I am lovely. I'm energized and I'm just very excited to uh, hear what you have to say. And, you know, for a while, been watching you and just seeing how you uh, took a medium and you just really made it your own. And I was like, I got to reach out to him, um, get him involved some type of way. And at the time I wasn't sure, you know, what to do because I don't just get anybody, you know, to uh, be a part of Crafty Hands Club. So you know, I've been watching and then I was like, okay, now it's time for me to, you know, just reach out and just ask. And I was so glad when you agreed to do this. So first I want to say thank you so much for um, choosing to come on the Crafty Hands Club podcast. And this is your, your floor, you know, I'm going to be like listeners, uh, listening to you, learning from you, growing from you. And, uh, you know, I know this is your first time uh, doing the podcast episode. So I just want you to be natural. And, you know, this is going to be conversational. So, Lorenzo, to start off. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So to start off this, tell me your first creative encounter as a kid and how you think that manifests into who you are today. Wow. <laughs> first of all, I wanted to say thank you again, Carice, for inviting me to, uh, to your podcast. 
I am equally as excited, and this is the highlight of my week. Um, so let me just dive right into your first question. So um, I guess the earliest memory I have of being creative, I was probably around uh, maybe eight or nine. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about eight or nine. So I spent a lot of time with my great aunt. And I remember looking down at the table one afternoon um, d- during lunch, and there were some crumbs next to my plate. <laughs> And I remember thinking, wow, that looks like a face. (laughs) And I just looked at it. And then I started, you know, taking my bread and making more crumbs and then putting some hair to go with the face and maybe a little body and stuff like that. And um, so over the course of the, I don't know, however many weeks it was, um, I just started playing with the crumbs and creating the faces on my own. Um, And my great aunt one day caught me and she said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm making faces. (laughs) <laughs> and she said, you're making faces with crumbs. What's wrong with you? Are, are you retarded or something? And I was like, no. I said, look, she said, I don't want to see it. And she took the 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 dishcloth and wiped my crumbs off the table. I was crushed. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so I did it in my spare time when no one else was around. Um, but I remember also um, looking out. I spent a lot of time um, at the creek as a, as a youngster. I like to catch crayfish and build little little ponds for them and stuff. And I would, um, I would see faces in the twigs in the trees and in the leaves, sometimes in rock formations, these random, random places. And it wasn't until I was um, preparing for an interview after our first discussion um, that I said, oh, let me Google that and see if there's a term for people who see faces. I mean, I see faces in clouds. I see it in sandwiches. I see it in bite marks on my sandwiches. <laughs> I see it in bowls of soup and salads. I even have some photos in my phone where I just kind of captured uh, some of these faces. But anyway, it's a psychological phenomenon um, that's called periodalia. Uh, P as in Peter, A-R-E-I-D-O-L-I-A. So, um, and to further answer your question, I just wanted to throw that one in there. I never really saw myself as creative with my hands I always saw myself as creative with words um, and with emotions. I used to want to be an actor um, and still kind of have that idea in my head. Um, But those are my first memories of of the creativity uh, bug that was in me. It just wasn't um, wasn't nurtured until much later in my adult life. Wow. Like that is (laughs) so, you know what? The creativity was there. There's no doubt about it. And I think it was there as a route to go from the words, the seeing the faces, the imagination, and then eventually transform into the physical, right? Like, you know, working with your hands and stuff, because I was kind of like that too, you know, um, playing and stuff I wasn't supposed to play in. Like, I was the kid that loved glue. So I, you know, <laughs> put the Elmer's glue on my hand. And, on your hands. <laughs> but here's the thing, though. Your skin will be much softer after you peel that glue off. So I never there was about something that. about it. And, uh, you know, all, all of us, you know, school kids, we, we like to do that. And there was a few moments where I would look in the clouds or look at a picture and I would see something totally different than what everybody around me well, see, but then that's art, too. Wow. Uh, I, I got it. But, I, yeah, I can imagine grandma saying, hey, I pay to get these groceries here. You're going to eat this food. You're not going to be making no faces with these bread crumbs, you know, like, yes, yes. make everything count. So let's move it uh, along. So with that, when did you think all of that that you had this admiration for during your childhood. How do you think it um, came into formation through your hands? Um, I think in in some obscure way, or maybe not even, uh, maybe not so obscure, I think uh, all things fit together um, uh, uh, over time. And I think we always land where we're supposed to be if we're lucky to still continue on the journey on this side. Um, and so I think as a, as a result of some of the, the things or the curveballs that life threw at me, I just kind of took that and, you know, started 
working with my hands. I remember, I think I told you I was off work. I had major surgery, I had to have a, a kidney transplant. And um, from 2003 to 2017, I was on dialysis. And a lot of people did not know that. Long story short, so I finally decided to get the transplant. And uh, so I was going to be off work for a while. Um, three years prior to that, this was in 2000, uh, November 2017 when I had the transplant. But prior to that, like maybe four or five years prior, I was making the Pandora style bracelets, which I still do. Um, and I was going to start doing that again when I was off, but that kind of bored me. I wanted to do something else. So I remember seeing a video that just kind of popped up in my YouTube uh, with this, this man making a, uh, a bracelet with wire. And then, uh, then I saw another one with this lady making, and I was like, wow, it looks really interesting. Um, and then I just started fooling around with it. Um, I had bought a bunch of jewelry making stuff around the same time when I was making the Pandora style bracelets. Uh, but I, I tried to make a beaded bracelet, but I wasn't quite learned, you know, uh, in that art yet. So I put together a pearl bracelet and it, I was going to ship it to a friend of mine and it came apart. So I was like, I was mortified. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Oh my God, I'm glad this happened before I shipped it. Right. To her. But anyway, yeah, right. So that that was the start of it. Um, and then I just I, I, I posted um, my first wire wrap bracelet, I think it was on on uh, Facebook. And one of my friends said, oh, my God, that's lovely. How can I want one? And I'm like, you want one? I said, well, OK, well, you know, thirty five dollars. You know? <laughs> and 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 she kept telling me, you know, you should really do this stuff like you could really make a business, you know, making jewelry. And uh, and that that's how that all got started. Um, and and again, it just happened that I just never saw myself as materially, physically creative. So this is something I'm still uh, growing into and still learning more um, uh, more techniques and things. And so it does not yet appear what wireful shall be, but we're on our way somewhere. Okay, and you know, just to uh, I want to say this to you. Um, Lorenzo, no matter how long someone has been making jewelry, even people that's been making it for 40 plus years, there's still something new to learn. Like you may have been doing a certain technique for many years, and then one day you just try a whole different approach, and you're like, hmm, you know what? When I do it this way, I'm more comfortable when I'm working with the tools or this way is faster. You know what? When right, I do this certain right. knot, it holds better. So it's right. always, it's I, to me, I look at jewelry making, it's always a work in progress, even when the product is finished because yes. it's just all, it's just constant evolving. And you know, your, your preference change. And one of the things, that you said that really stood out was well there were a couple things but one of the things that really stood out and I don't know if you knew this or not but when you were testing out different things like the beading and you made another type of bracelet and it came apart you were learning what is your style and what isn't your style, you know, and sometimes right. it, it has nothing to do with what you personally wear. That's something right. that I had to learn. Like, okay, just because I like to wear a certain type of jewelry doesn't mean that that's the particular uh, medium for me to make, because I may not be good at that. I may be good at another medium. So what you did, you 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 um you learn, but then you implement it and you try. You didn't give up, but then when you saw like, hey, I'm just not good at this beating thing, so I'm not going to be tapping to that. And then when you went on YouTube and you saw the guy making wire jewelry. And then, you know, that intrigued you. And then you said, okay, let me attempt because that's what we do. You know, you learn, then you implement. You don't just be learning, you know. Right. Once you learn, you have to put that into the physical aspect. So right. you, you, you implement it. Then 
that allowed you to see what your strengths and weaknesses were. And then you were able to execute, put it on social media. And you probably just, again, did this as something casual. Somebody came along, saw it and said, hey, you know, I want to buy one. And then they kept on saying, this is something that you should really do. So Mm -hmm. this leads me to the next question. So um, someone who's listening might be a newbie or they may be someone who's interested in learning how to make jewelry, but they haven't put any steps forward yet. What advice would you have um, for them, whether it's male or female, young, old, whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, I think th- um, the biggest thing uh, that I would probably want to impart is to recognize that there are stages of learning. Um, you know, there's, you know, one stage that's called unconscious incompetence, um, you know, where you just don't see a need to learn a certain thing, which you're, you know, we're, we're kind of in a, a stage of oblivious, uh, oblivion. Um, then there's this uh, stage of conscious incompetence where uh, we know there's a skill that we, you know, we don't have and that we, you know, we need to get it. So it's like, you know, ignorance is no longer bliss. So you start looking for uh, ways to learn uh, what it is you're seeking. Then there's conscious competence. Um, and that's where you begin to acquire skill. Um, and it goes, you know, on and on to this fifth stage where knowledge is really becoming the seat of our power. And we're, we're, we're in this uh, in this grind, in this groove uh, where we now have a body of knowledge from which to draw from to execute whatever it is, whether it's jewelry making, building a house, making a table, a chest of drawers, you know, baking, whatever. Because um, that's where I found myself with the example we've been kicking around about the, the bracelets, um, I, you know, I, I, I was unconsciously incompetent. And then I said, oh, wait a minute. After seeing that video, it's like, oh, okay. So there is a way to get this done. There is a way to do it. And so I started watching tutorials, buying books. And so just be patient with yourself um, mm-hmm. and just allow, and, uh, allow yourself to matriculate through those stages. Um, and the other little caveat there, Carice, if I may, is also to recognize that as you're learning, whether it's through book, whether it's uh, uh, formal instruction, written tutorials or video tutorials online or hands-on coaching, um, you're going to acquire skills. And at some point, you're going to be able to put all of those skills together to create whatever your masterpieces are. Like some people may um, not use eggs, for example, if they're a baker and they decide to use uh, some powdered ingredients to replace eggs. But then you start learning how to incorporate some other things with those powders and the other ingredients to make the recipes your own. Um, so an example of that for me with my jewelry is um, learning how to solder, which is where you take a uh, metal to uh, create uh, contacts with other metals or uh, other other uh, items. Mm-hmm. And I first and I first watched a ton of videos and I started executing that myself, being able to solder jump rings shut so that they would just, you know, remain closed. Then I said, oh, well, I can actually, if I can solder this this way, then I can take this ring and solder it onto this sheet of metal and create a shape and a unique shape and things like that. And so you find yourself constantly in this in this uh, state of uh, creativity where you're putting all these other things together that you thought were just not related and thought they, these were just static skills and they're just kind of meshed together in there. Yeah, um, I'm so glad that you you said that because jewelry making is one of those where a different medium can be found in another medium and it might have just been done totally a different way. Like, right. for instance, since we since you talked about soldering and metalsmith, metalsmith requires a great deal of attention, a great deal of patience, and it's definitely a process. Like, you know, I used to see metal jewelry like at music festivals and fairs and so forth, and I would be like, wow, a simple pair of earrings is like 30 bucks. But when I got in the metalsmith studio and I saw that it what it took to you know, get the metal to join and to, you know, go do the, you know, different processes. I was like, oh, okay, I understand it, you know, but you have to go through that in order to understand it. But um, the point that I'm wanting to make here is 
some metal smells, you know, with the bending of the wire, and yes. you can make your link chains, right? Yes. Some of those designs are in chain mail. Yes. You know, now, yes. chain mail isn't, you know, soldering, you know, especially if you're working with aluminum, uh, aluminum jump rings, but right. that design would look very similar to the wire that you dealt with the metal smell, metal smell, and it will also look similar to like wire work without any kind of heat put to it. Right. So, right. You know, as you said, it's like those little pieces here and there will help you along the way when you're in something totally outside of your arena or a, a level up in your arena. And right. then everything starts to make sense because one of the things in jewelry making, just like with anything else, there's always a basis, right? Like, yeah, right. You know, knowing your gauges, knowing your mm -hmm. types of materials, knowing, you know, stringing, know, knowing all of that. So right. once you get that basic down pack, I tell people all the time, don't focus on the design so much you need to really master the fundamentals. Right, right. The techniques. Yes. So, you know, being a male that makes wire jewelry because, and again, I don't want to sound biased in any way, but based on what I've seen over the years, I've seen mainly women that would make wire jewelry. Now there are males that make wire jewelry because there's a couple groups on social media where there are some guys that just killing it, right? Uh -huh. and, and but it's still a lower number compared to women that are, right. you know, making it. So being a male that is making wire jewelry, I want to know from a male perspective. How do you define um, jewelry making and what are some things in the do-it-yourself space that you think can potentially discount the craft of jewelry making itself? Hmm. Okay. Uh, I had to write those down to make sure I follow myself. <laughs> um, so I've seen the same thing um, in terms of uh, it being a, a female dominated uh, industry or craft, if you will. Um, I've also found that there are more white men that I have seen personally, um, more so than, you know, uh, men of color like like myself. Um, I've never really thought about giving jewelry making a definition because I kind of see it as one that's kind of self-descriptive. Um, but it's not as static as people might think it to be. It's it's a medium to actually un unleash your own creativity to make uh, uh, products um, that are wearable, um, that uh, we use to adorn ourselves with, whether you're male or female, and also even products that can be uh, uh, displayed in the home, for example, as, as decorative items, which I'll be experimenting with some of that stuff at some point uh, later this year. Um, now, in terms of the uh, discounting of handmade jewelry, um, I see some of the um, the trends in discount jewelry, which I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name any names, but there's this one where I think most of the pieces are five dollars. Um, and so when I did my pop up last week, I I had one person say they were interested in you know uh, getting a, a table as a vendor, and I you know had to decline the offer um, because I surround myself with other handmade artisans and want people bringing things that are fabricated overseas or somewhere and and you're selling them it's a lower quality product and it wasn't made with love and it wasn't made with a greater attention uh to you the buyer um so things like that you know people can buy say for example chakra bracelets which i make also from overseas for one dollar but it's a very low quality product um, and then you're also exporting dollars into other countries instead of letting those dollars circulate here in our own country, which is going to at some point, I believe it's globalism is going to bite us all in the butt at some point uh, because people are going to kind of vote with their dollars. If they can get it cheaper over here, you know, some people will. But there are other people who 
um, are firm believers in the handmade craft. And so there's definitely a niche market for it. But that's the biggest threat I see in the in the discounting of handmade jewelry. And also people not really understanding the level of passion um, yes. that, it, that, that it takes to put into um, one particular piece. Like even my chain mail, um, I do the Byzantine chain mail. I do the sweet pea. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and I also do uh, macrame or macrame, some people pronounce it. Um, but when you see these knockoffs from overseas, you go, wow, um, I wonder, you know, if I can put my piece against theirs, how much people would gravitate towards my piece or would they want the one that was made overseas um, for, you know, in slave camps and things like that. Um, that's the biggest threat I think I see. Um, so to counter that, I think um, I've committed myself and I've seen others doing it. Um, allowing people into my studio uh, to see some of the processes and how we actually put this stuff together. Um, and I think that kind of gives people uh, a more intimate uh, level of acquaintance with our craft and with our products. Like, you know, um, yeah, they're really making the stuff by hand <laughs> in their own homes. You know, I you said some, you said something there because one of the things that I try to do with Crafty Hands Club, and I'm going to be honest here, I'm not going to front, I'm going to be honest. I haven't done it as much, but one of the things that's on my list for 2020 is to do it even more. And that's to take people behind the scenes yes. of the making process. So right. last year, you know, took people a little bit behind the scenes when on days where I was at the jeweler's studio or when I was at home making. And it don't have to be extravagant and things like that. But I think when people see the real deal and, t- and the real deal isn't exactly, you know, the name or the price point, but the real deal is about the process, seeing the work that's put in, because one of the things that I see that's discounting the jewelry making craft itself is people look at something one or two times and they say, oh, I can do this and make money. There's nothing wrong with additional streams of revenue. Mm-hmm. The problem comes in when you become unethical to get consumers. Mm. And what I mean by unethical means you're using materials that's not going to hold. Right. You know, it, it's long enough to leave your hand to reach the customer. Right. Also, unethical, and, and I don't want to get into it too much because there's, upcoming, there's an upcoming episode where I'm going to talk about the scams in the jewelry making sector. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But uh, another form of discounting is people are buying jewelry that's already been made. Right. They may go to a show, they may order from online or anywhere, and then they pass it off and say that they made it. Like right. that's right. a slap in the face to people who put in so much time to make jewelry, you know, especially mm-hmm. if a person is a specialist at stone setting. You know, right, that's a right. slap in the face to that person because that person spends a lot of time in the studio. So uh, what you said there about allowing people to come in the studio and to see portions of your process, that builds trust, you know, that builds integrity. And it also um, shows them that, you care about the work. It's about the quality of work too in jewelry making, not like how many pieces can I make in a day? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it, it's about the quality because sometimes you might be prepared for certain, certain types of materials and then you get into the work and you realize this isn't working for me. And it might have been on the instruction sheet. Uh-huh. Not, not to say it's wrong, but then you say, you know what? This is a little bit too thin for me. Right, right. Let's uh-huh. try for the thicker piece right. to accommodate and, and see. And yeah. I'm, let me 
I, I do this with necklaces and I, my husband jokes about it a little bit, but mm. um, if I ever want to see if I made a strong enough necklace, I hold the baby. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I hold a baby is because babies like to pull on necklace. Right. Anything dangling. <laughs> yeah. And that grip is strong. Uh-huh. You know, that little baby. So if it's holding against the baby, pulling on the necklace, I'm like, okay, this can hold. Right. <laughs> you know, if right. it's something that's delicate, okay, I need to try something else a little bit more sturdy. Right. So I'm glad that um, you know, you talked about that. And you know, like from a um from a male perspective, how do you think your positioning, you know, like in the space of jewelry making, like do you often find the challenge of being taken serious or do are you perceived to sell only certain types of jewelry? Are you perceived, um, you know, at a certain price point? Like, what are, you know, some interesting things that you have experienced so far in your jewelry making journey as a male, especially when you're going out into, you know, from outside the studio to display and show what what you do? Mm-hmm. Um. I can't say that it's 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 you know based on my gender, but I do know that some of the challenges I faced is really um, getting people to uh, to engage long enough to discuss what it is they're looking at. I'll shows and some shows I do quite well. Other shows it's like I paid to be there and I'm just it's just a complete bust. Um, so people will approach the table, and I am not a pushy person. Um, you know, so I don't like to, you know, be that hardcore salesman. It's like, oh, hey, what are you, what are you looking for? You know, um, but I, but I do engage them to, you know, tell them about what it, who I am, what it is I do. And I do invite them to touch and feel. And if you want to try them on, you know, whatever, you know, feel free. Uh, unless they're earrings, you know, I have mirrors. You can just hold them up and, you know, see how they look that way. Um, but, you know, I think people perceive uh, sometimes uh, my jewelry as being overpriced. But when I look online, um, I'm looking at people who make or making the same some of the same things, especially like the Byzantines and the uh, the sweet peas. You know, that's pretty standard mm-hmm. unless you just mix it with beads and things like that. Um, right. But, and, and they're charging way more and I'm seeing like way more sales. So I don't know if it's that they're not taking me seriously or um, it, it's like I was in Adams Morgan uh, back during the summer at a show and this young lady picked up uh, one of my Byzantines that I had put a, a nice uh, turquoise focal in, in between and put a nice uh, handmade S-clasp with a bead wrapped around it. Da, da, da. She said, oh, this is nice. I said, She's like, how much is this? I said, 35. She literally dropped it like it was, you know, like a filth. And I oh, said, wow. oh, I said, oh, I said, Did, do you not like this piece? She said, oh, I love it. She said, but I'm just going to go look around some more and I'll be back. Of course, I'm, I'm you know, she didn't have didn't want to, I guess, you know, say she wasn't coming back. Um, but it's just getting people to really see that this is handmade. Um, it's not overpriced. Um, but I don't want to stand there and try to argue with someone about my pricing because we don't do that when we go to Walmart. <laughs> we don't do it when we go to the grocery store. Not the at pri- all. The, the price is the price. When you go to Mei Ling's for them 10 wings and fries with the hot sauce, uh, pepper and ketchup <laughs> and, and the salt and pepper, um, you don't, you know, haggle her over her ten ninety five for six wings and some fries or twelve ninety five. You know, you pay what it is they're asking or you just don't. Um, and so as an artist, sometimes I find myself having to swallow the feeling of offense um, because people, you know, want to, I guess because they see us as small businesses, they think that it, you get the perception and then some of the groups I'm in, people, we, we have these discussions where they seem to think that we're just going to give our, 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 our stuff away. And it's just not happening. Now there are times when I can get materials at a lower cost, um, which I can pass those, you know, uh, discounts on to my customers, but that's like the biggest challenge in terms of being taken, taken seriously um, from the broader community. Um, I, I see some of the other people, like there are some guys that are, were at some of the shows I was uh, doing a lot over the summer and I'm looking at their, their earrings, beautiful earrings, 
But I'm looking at the stuff and I'm like, you did not hand make any of this stuff. This is stuff that you have bought online and you put your little uh, earring cards on them and put them in there and you're passing them off. And But then they come and look at my table and they're like, oh, this is some really nice stuff. And it's like, but I'll, I'll see people bypass my table and go to the other table. But these are spo- supposedly handmade events um, or, or, you know, events for handmakers. Um, but I want to also touch on, if I may, what you said about um, um, uh, the quality piece. I was so paranoid um, about my first probably two or three months I would look at a piece before I shipped it and look at it and look at it. And if I saw, if I took a picture of it and I saw a nick in the wire, I was buffing it out. I mean, the smallest thing, you know, where <laughs> um, I had a visitor here with me one day and she was like, man, they're not even going to know that. Notice that. Go ahead and send that thing. I'm not, no, 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 no. This has my name on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I tell people, all you have is your name. That's right. And, and, and I, and just to be transparent, I did, um, I, I do wire bracelets now with the beading cord. I use seven strand or 49 strand. Those are my favorites. Okay. But I discovered very quickly that I was drawing the beads and the other components too tightly um, uh, after I put the crimp beads on. And I sent two bracelets out to some friends that I've known since high school. And I got a call after a week or two. Oh, Lorenzo, my bracelet came apart. I don't know what happened. I saved all the beads, blah, 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 blah. Um, And so I started doing a a different type of quality test before with those bracelets. I would just, you know, put the crimp tube on it, cinch it down and put the, uh, the crimp cover on it, cinch it down and put my other components on, clasp and send it out. But after those two incidents, I was so embarrassed. Oh my goodness, I was embarrassed. So I sent out, of course, replacements, but I did a pull test. Um, and so now when I do the the, the bracelets, I, I do it like you like you do. I don't do the baby test, but I actually like try to pull it up mm-hmm. with my, you know, in the hands. Not in the Hercules, you know, like I'm Hercules, but just a nice tug and I go, oh, that's that's good. Um, and so we have to remember as as handmade artists, all we have is our name. You can go into, say, a chain store and have an unpleasant experience. And you may put it online and encourage people, oh, don't go there, don't buy it from them, blah, 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 blah. But the fact of the matter is they are entrenched and they will lose no market share because you have a complaint. Even if 100 people in your neighborhood have a complaint, nine times or 9.9999 times out of 10, they will lose no customers, they will lose no market share. But with us as sole, sole proprietors, you know, all we have is our name. We don't have this huge market share. And if too many people get the buzz that you are creating inferior products, that you are lying, buying your stuff from overseas, um, or that you're passing other people's stuff along as your own, you know, that's going to ruin your name. And at some point, it's going to catch up to you and it's going to it's going to uh, damage your reputation uh, in the marketplace. Um, mm-hmm. So I did want to talk about that. And we should really pay close attention to our quality because it is attached to our names. And I'm just embarrassed that those two incidents happened even, and they were understanding, but it caused me to do a different type of quality check and looking at some of the other risk factors and some of my other pieces, which I can, you know, tell you about at some point, but yeah, um, just had to kind of jump into that little piece too. No, uh, thank you for that. Glad you did. And, you know, I want to say, don't be embarrassed look at it as that was just some that was just your cue to say okay mm-hmm. i need to do quality control before i send things out right and you know try them in different um try different instances or different scenarios but mm-hmm. don't overthink it you know because right you know being a creative sometimes can be that can be a big downfall where yes. you know you're you're passionate about it and you care a little too much about it and when you send it out you you know you're just paranoid you like oh you know what this bee got this on here or this class is sitting this way or this is doing that no you know Sometimes uh, now I'm not saying send crap out, but oh no no I get it I get it right. But I'm saying um, you know when things are sent out, 
give customers the opportunity to give you that feedback because that mm-hmm. will help you more than you holding on to it and you know saying okay you know what now everything is quote unquote perfect let's mm-hmm. send it out you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very glad that uh, you brought that point and you know uh, Lorenzo now that you do this as a revenue source I want to say there's a time to be creative and to be in that zone. But then there's a time to be on the business end of it and say, okay, how can I move things forward? What do I need to have set in place to get this from inventory to consumer? Right. And also, you know, it's, it was interesting hearing from your perspective about your experiences because there's been plenty of times where I've been a vendor at a show, some good, some were just complete disasters. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when it came to certain uh, handmaids or things like that, you know, people would come to the table and some people would like it and say, oh, I'll be back or, you know, Some, you know, looked and, you know, walked away or, you know, just all types of interesting, interesting things. But I always thought when the male was at a table with Mm -hmm. his product, I'm like, okay, he's less likely to be haggled. You know, he's more stern. So, you know, they're not doing this with males. So to hear that, You've experienced some of the same things that I have. It just made me realize, okay, wow, it's it's the same. But I think that goes into how we position ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. so that, that goes into that separating yourself from the create creativity to mm-hmm. position yourself as the business behind it. You know, right? So in that sense so your business is called wireful and that's a nice name love the name think it's interesting i'm pretty sure there's a backstory uh to it you know in terms of like choosing the name or deciding the name uh won't you tell tell us you know how did you come up with it how long Uh, Did it take for you to find that name and uh, what, you know, what it really, what it really means? What story does Wireful tell? Yes. Okay. So, um, and thank you for that question. (laughs) Um, So um, let me just give a little backstory to the backstory. So, (laughs) you know, as, as, as someone who's been in corporate America since I was 16, uh, I've always tried to uh, to perform my job in a way that differentiated me from everyone else. And I was I was always told as a child, if you do well and you go above and beyond, you know, you'll be rewarded and da 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 da. Um, it I've seen just the opposite, but that's for a whole nother podcast on a whole nother different mm-hmm. platform. Uh, <laughs> but when it when but when it came time for um, me to really put a name out there. Um, I wanted to differentiate uh, my product from, say, um, the next person's product. And so I wanted to, people to understand that I have a love for wire. Um, and I wanted that to be the driver of the name. And so I chose Wireful, W-Y-R-E-F-U-L-L, to differentiate myself from uh, anyone else who may use wire. Because, again, that's going to be what drives uh, my business, the love of wire, whether it's, you know, copper wire, gold wire, sterling silver wire, gold wire, beading wire. Um, This is the basis of my business. It's wire. And the spelling, again, was a way to differentiate uh, my business from anything else that might be called wireful because I've seen, I think I saw one business that was uh, with with the uh, eye, but I don't think they were uh, a jewelry seller. but again, I wanted it to be memorable um, and differentiated. And so when I meet people in the grocery store, for example, and they say, oh, that's a nice bracelet you're wearing. And I'm, where'd you get it? Oh, I made it. Oh, you made it? Do you sell it? Yes. Do you have a card? Um, 
I don't have a card. Um, real quick story about the cards. I have spent probably upwards to $100 on cards in the last two and a half years. I have not made one sale using a business card. So what I do, I have a digital card that I can send to people or I'll just, hey, hey, look me up on Instagram. It's wireful. And they'll start and I'm like, it's a, with, a, with a Y. So W-Y-R-E-F-U-L-L. And that kind of helps people also, uh, you know, remember me. I'm <laughs> um, I'm laughing because you have you pay attention to what works, what doesn't work, and it sounds like you can adjust really quick, and that's something that's very key, you know, to you as a business owner. You know, you said, hey, every all the business cards I've got get given out, they haven't converted. You know, because a lot of times in business and I've been guilty of this, too. We tend to do the same stuff, even though we know it don't work, you know, because it's comfortable. You know, we know better, but we want to stay in that comfort zone. And the fact that most people, you know, your work is very jury making is very visual. So, you know, Pinterest, Instagram or, you know, any platform of your choice where your audience is, that is the route to go. And then if people are interested in, you know, anything any further, then they'll come on to the website. Or, you know, if they see something on the website, then they'll email if they got a question, you know. But, mm-hmm. you right. know, it's very rare that someone's going to start off emailing you, you know, about that because, you know, majority of the audience is social media and then it goes to the website and to be honest with you you pretty much get the email when something's wrong right right (laughs) so (laughs) or the or the phone call so you know now that you know we know that those are last resorts just -hmm. need to go you know fall in that direction and the reason why I'm expounding on this point because it could be someone listening that um, may have, you know, always given business cards or given a, a postcard, giving, you know, this and that. And, you know, they're not seeing anything. And then, too, you you don't want to pass out your business cards like it's candy. You know, right. when you're at a networking event, um, that's where your active listening comes in. Then mm-hmm. you determine if it's a good move for you to give a card or not. If it's not a good move, you can always refer them to a page. Right. If it's a right. good move, then you do give that business card because the purpose of networking, you know, is to get to a meeting. So, right. you know, that's right. part of your sales funnel. So, um, mm-hmm. but uh, enough about that. Want to get into? Uh, I love the story about Wireful. Uh, you know, it's very clear about the materials that you work with uh, and the types of wire. Uh, do you feel like there's a time in your business, like whether you're showing a photo of your work or you're doing a video or you're talking to people in person? Do you feel like there's a moment where you think you're over educating someone versus giving them uh, the bullet points and then allowing them to ask further questions or to make a decision. Yeah, well, I'm an extrovert. Um, and I have had to, as I've matured, I've had to uh, tell myself when it's time to stop talking um, and put on my listening ears as I tell my students. Um, so I've tried, I've taken great pains not to try to oversell because I, I've, I've taken some uh, tips from uh, the, the business world at large where they say you don't want to appear too desperate because then people smell blood in the water mm-hmm. um, and, and you come across as desperate and needing to make the sale to pay the bill or whatever, you know. Um, so I, when I'm engaging people, I just take my cues from their demeanor um, and from what they may say or not say or how they may engage or not engage. 
Um, so say, for example, when it comes to my copper, because a lot of my work is in copper, um, I'll say, did you know that copper um, has been known to help alleviate pain? Mm-hmm. And this goes, you know, for, for centuries. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't go into this long history lesson like I'm in front of a classroom with a, <laughs> a grease board. I just kind of throw certain things out there. Um, I am going to be revamping my website to put some informative informational articles about copper and its uses in, in antiquity um, and in jewelry making. Um, but that I just take my cues from, you know, from from my listener and determine how much to say and what not to say. Very good. Uh, copper does have a lot of benefits. But as you stated, you know, only a couple, you know, um, you know, we don't need to. To be that, and I think we can overeducate sometimes because we just really, you know, that goes back into that passion thing, right? Where, right. you know, you care about it and you want to share with the world, but the world may not be interested in right. all of that. All they want to know right. is how much, how much, how long is this necklace, or what length is this bracelet? I have a large wrist. Is it? Right. Am I going to be able to wear it? Right, right. How, when I'm gonna get it, and if something can I return it or exchange it? Right, you know, so that's, that's pretty it. much those bullet points that you want to touch on. So, I know earlier you talked about how you know you got into jewelry making, so would you say that it is therapeutic? Would you say that it's a little bit of therapy plus a little bit of lifestyle? What would you say about that? Um, for me, it is it is therapeutic, um, and and it's such that there are days when all I all I do when I get off of my regular job is administrative stuff for Wireful, whether it's marketing following up with vendors, you know, or just organizing or straightening my office slash studio. Um, And so if there's like a three or four day period or even a week when I haven't made anything, I feel jittery and anxious. Like I need to put my hands on some beads and some wire and maybe one of my uh, soldering apparatus and my soldering block. And I need to make something Um, because I have periods where I make a lot of stuff and have a lot of stuff on hand, but that I'm never satisfied until I'm making something. And it, it is a part of therapy for me. It, it keeps my hands busy and it's, um, it's, it, it, it helps my brain calm down from all the other stuff that we have going on in our, in our daily existences, those life hassles as we have come to term them in psychology. Um, but yeah, it is therapy for me and it is a way for me to express myself, which um, kind of brings me to a point, if I may. Um, so Wireful is changing direction. Um, I find that um, the beaded world is a little oversaturated. So say, for example, my chakra bracelets, you know, everybody in their mama has a chakra bracelet somewhere, um, you know, in a store. Um, and so the ones that I have on hand are actually uh, on sale for 10 bucks each. Cause I just want to get rid of them. Um, they're made with cat's eye beads. Um, the, the, the majority of them. And so I'm changing focus, um, to more design, more design oriented necklaces and bracelets and not just the basic stringing of beads. If that makes any sense. Well, I know it makes sense to you cause you, you're a creative mm-hmm. too. Um, so I'm actually changing focus. I'm going to be doing more wire weaves, more bezel, more bezel settings, um, um, and you know, the, the, the wire weaves is my new passion as well as I want to uh, start making some wearable masks. I made a few and put them on my Instagram. Um, they were a, a little, uh, they, they got a pre- pretty good review and I think I sold one of them. Um, so I'm just really changing focus again and that, uh, with the aim of differentiating myself from the other person who has say chakra bracelets. Okay. And you know, there's also a um, later episode in the season where I talk about the jewelry making market being oversaturated because mm-hmm. it is. And, you know, what you did, so you found, you paid attention, you listened, you studied, and you saw another way to expound on your wire jewelry skills 
that not only allows you to, you know, go into the mask arena, but it's challenging your skills and it's positioning you for other opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, ma'am. Okay. That's Great. I, I just love that uh, because most people wouldn't think about a mask, you know, in terms of like the, the wire um, world, but it makes a lot of sense, you mm-hmm. know, that's something that, yeah, there, there's a lot of opportunities for that. So, you know, I'll definitely be checking out the social media page uh, <laughs> when you, you know, do more, you know, showcasing and sharing, um, sharing your work. So while we are on the, and I don't want to go deep into this because again, it's a whole episode about saturation, mm-hmm. but why do you think the beaded jewelry is, it is, is saturated I you know I I know some reasons why it is but I want to hear from your perspective why do you think the uh beaded jewelry sector is uh saturated um I think because it is um it's easy to execute um and it, it doesn't take mm-hmm. a lot. It doesn't take a lot to create. Um, you just basically get some beads and maybe some uh, other components to mix in, and you string your stuff up and you put your clasp on, and it's pretty simple and, and straightforward. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, see it as a to turn a quick to turn a quick buck, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but for me, I want something that's a little more memorable and a little more off the beaten path, which is, you know, why I'm choosing to, uh, you know, analyze what I'm doing and create some different uh, things to set set wireful apart. Because in business, you know, and I learned this in grad school. I had been doing it all along, but there's something called a risk assessment or a risk analysis. Mm-hmm. Where you, you analyze your competition, you see what they're doing and you see how they're doing it. Um, you analyze what can go wrong um, and <laughs> try to mitigate those things so that you don't have them go wrong or as not as often. Um, and so all of those things considered, you know, that's, you know, that it is just what it is in that regard. Okay. That's uh, very good to hear. Um, and yes, yeah, some of it are those things that you have mentioned as well. So we've got 55 minutes in. And I'm just going to ask you like a couple more uh, questions to stay within the timeline uh, as I had promised. So what are some benefits of making your own jewelry versus going out to buy jewelry and not the obvious answers? Mm -hmm. Um, I think the benefit of making it yourself is number one, you save yourself some money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and number two, there's just some a, a deeper level of satisfaction that you get in being able to say that you created something on your own. Um, and I think it's just that basic. Um, and 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 also to the the novelty of the piece. If you're, you know, one thing I've also gotten into with uh, re uh, rewriting how Wireful performs and what it performs um, is looking for beads that I don't see, I haven't seen anywhere else. Um, you know, to do the the weaves and things like that. But I think it's just that basic. You just, you have a piece that you can create that you can say, no one else has this. Um, you know, it's my own unique design and my own unique thing. So that's, that, that's it. I, I think it's just that simple. Cool. So where can people find Wireful on social media? Do you have any websites where they can go to to you know make a purchase or you know just look at your work learn more about who you are um can you share that information i sure can carice thank you for that um well i'm on instagram as wireful that's w-y-r-e-f as in frank u-l-l also on facebook as wireful same name same spelling w-y-r-e-f-u-l-l 
and also on my website at wireful.com. That's www.wyrefull.com. You can contact me through my website by click on by clicking on contact me. You can send me an email or my phone number is there for if you want to send me a text message or call. Beautiful. And I will also share your uh, social media links and website link as well um, when this episode does get posted. So I will definitely do that in the description area of this. And then before you um, go, what I am going to do is jewelry is very um, symbolic to life in a lot of ways. Yes. Yes, And it's a lot of life lessons that you can learn. So I'm going to name a jewelry medium and you, uh-huh. and I want you to say what life lesson comes to your mind when you think of this particular medium. And it's just five. So yeah. um, the first one, Palmer's Clay. Palmer's Clay. What life lesson? Uh, that we are constantly able to reshape ourselves and reshape our destinies and reshape our existences and reshape our lives. Because um, with clay, you can mold and make it into anything you want. Okay. The next one is chain mail. Chain mail. Um, interconnectivity um, is a life lesson that, I, that comes to mind when I think of chain mail. Um, you have these interconnected pieces. They could be of different shapes, sizes, colors, um, strengths, hardness, uh, scales, um, but they're all interconnected to create a picture. And as human beings, I believe that we are all interconnected in some way, even if the, the pieces don't necessarily fit directly together, they can fit di- uh, together indirectly. Okay. What about metal stamping? Metal stamping. Uh mm, Leaving an impression, making an impression uh, with your whatever it is that you produce. In my case, of course, it's jewelry. Uh, Leaving an impression on people um, that lasts. So when you're stamping on metal, that impression does not come off unless it's acid washed or if it's uh, fired um, or heated up to such a degree that it begins to melt. Um, So leaving an impression on on the world and on people that we uh, uh, interact with on a daily basis. Wow. What about glass blowing? Glass blowing, wow. Um, I would say intricacy and delicate uh, delicateness, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never, I've never seen glass blowing up close uh, in person. I have seen videos. Um, it is very art. It's very art artistic. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I guess I could say uh, trial and tr- trials and tribulation with with glass blowing, because that that sand has to be heated to such a temperature that begins to fuse and creates these beautiful structures that you can then paint um, or you can include different colored glass to make these beautiful designs. So um, I'm trying to think of one word. Um, I'm going to say trial and error. Mm -hmm. That's a very good one. And last but not least, what would you say about knit wire? Knit wire. I have not... uh, uh, experiment with it, although I have the uh, what do you call that that design Viking knit. Mm-hmm. I have a kit. I have a kit that I have not experimented with yet. Um, Viking knit. I would say um, I'm trying to think of one word when I think of uh, knit wire. Uh, inclusion. Um, I think is one word that comes to mind. Um, all of those pieces, it's it's when when you're doing bike when you're doing knits, it's usually one wire from what I've seen anyway that's kind of knitted into these you know really nice designs or even in bracelets and things. Um, so I, I would say interconnect and interconnect interconnectedness. Wow, that is definitely a good way to look at that. Well, Mr. Sanders, once again, thank you so much for coming on the Crafty Hands Club podcast. This has just been a delightful um, segment. This has just been an awesome hour. And I hope that listeners uh, gained a 
deeper understanding of jewelry making, and I'm sure that they have learned a lot from you. So again, thank you so much for um, choosing to do Crafty Hands Club podcast. And um, to listeners, uh, again, click on the link below in the description of this podcast where you can reach or, you know, follow, connect with Lorenzo on social media platforms as well as visit to the website if you're interested in purchasing some of his lovely wire jewelry. Thank you so much, Carice. And I really want to thank you and your listeners for uh, indulging me in this interview this afternoon. And thank you for the opportunity um, to share uh, a part of my life and my story with your audience. And I wish everyone a happy new year and much prosperity. Thank you. Have a great one. Thank you. Bye-bye. To learn more about Crafty Hands Club, please visit our website, www.craftyhandsclub.com. Thank you for listening to the Crafty Hands Club podcast. Come back and join us next week.